5.5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it is he who said to him, God the Father, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Let's pray. So, Lord, this is packed, and we're going to be, Lord, really needing, as we always do, but tonight, again, our prayer is anoint your word, give us ears to hear. Father, give us understanding, instruction. I pray, Lord, you would motivate us in your word. Motivate us, Lord, to this yearning to be going on to perfection, to be growing as believers, and not falling away, not drifting away, but, Lord, we are those who want to be right there where you have us and continue to press on for that high calling, that heavenly calling to which you've called us, Lord. Please bless the word, Lord. Anoint us. Anoint me, God. And I pray that we have some great interaction with you, the Holy Spirit, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, because these verses are particularly challenging and controversial, I decided it would be easier just to ignore them. Just kidding. <laughs> he says, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Don't you like the fact that that's there? Particularly after the things. Now, this is what's going on right now in this passage. Uh, I called Greg today and talked to him. Greg will be, be doing part of this also. There is so much here, and some of the things we talked about Saturday, uh, 
in our meeting, I don't know if you know that, but the five guys that are team teaching, we get together on Saturdays and talk about where we're going, where we sense the Holy Spirit taking us. And so I had a sense on Saturday that sense changed only because there are so many things here we can talk about. So we may be parking here for a few weeks. Is that okay? Good. And so I hope as, as I'm sharing, I, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm looking forward to actually some of the questions that might arise in this, some of the things that we can dialogue over, and then Greg will have all the answers next week. <laughs> and Rick will have some answers, and Lowell will have some answers, and Paul will have some answers. Amen? So here's where I, how I've outlined this passage, which would be 511 or 510 through 63. So it, it, there's a little overlap here because whenever you have a therefore, you have to say, what is it therefore? And so when you have a therefore, it's hard to stop before the therefore. So as we get into chapter 6, it says, therefore. So we can't just stop at the end of chapter 5. Chapter breaks in the Bible were put there afterwards to help us, and I'm thankful for them. But uh, sometimes the chapter break uh, really doesn't, doesn't cut it where it needs to cut it. The Bible always cuts it, by the way, but not, yeah, okay. So here it is. Three things that I see in this passage. Number one, going on, first of all, to perfection. Going on to perfect learning. Are you a perfect learner? Going on to perfect discerning. And then going on to perfect yearning. Okay, so if if it helps you, there's your three handles. Going on to perfect learning, discerning, and yearning. Maturity, which is what we're talking about here, proceeds through four stages. Simply put, help me, tell me, show me, and then follow me. So as we're maturing, it begins by help me, then tell me, then show me, and then follow me. We ought to be teachers. We need, as as he says here, you need someone to teach you again the first principles and the oracles of God, and have come to need milk and not solid food. So the admonition here, the challenge to us is, are we going on to perfection? Now, this word perfection needs to be talked about, as Lowell, I think, mentioned it. It's a huge word in the book of Hebrews. It's used 12 times, but it's not always translated in my uh, New King James, and I'm sure in yours also, with the word perfection. So it's, by the way, nowhere in the Bible are we taught that we're going to become sinlessly perfect. There's no such thing as sinless perfection so long as we're in these bodies. Can you hear an amen? That should encourage you because the Bible teaches us that so long as we're in these bodies, we are never going to be perfect concerning living a sinless life. In fact, what happens as we grow in the Lord is we realize how sinful we are. We understand and begin to learn how powerful our flesh is, how powerfully selfish we are, naturally, but supernaturally, as Paul writes in Romans, the, the life of the spirit of the, the, the life of the spirit, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, thank you, has set me free from the law of sin and death. Because we have a higher law now, it's the spiritual law of life in Christ Jesus that overcomes now that. That sinful, carnal nature that's innate and will not be, uh, will not be missing. Well, well, we'll be glad to be done with him. But right now, you can't escape that. You have a tendency, apart from the Holy Spirit and self-centeredness of our nature, to do your own thing and not God's thing, not God's will. So it means, the word means to be complete, 
to come to completeness. So he might say going on to complete learning. Going on to complete discerning. It might, you might say going on to the completion of learning. Going on to the completion of discerning. Going on to the completion of a yearning to grow. So let's look at these verses tonight in Hebrews. Hebrews 2.10. I think there are things that we can look at as far as this whole idea of becoming perfect. Let us go on to perfection or to completeness or to completion. You know, when you're learning a lesson, there's a completing of the lesson. Or at least there should be. When you're, when you're learning something, there's, there's a goal of the learning process that takes you to a completion. And it's that desire. In learning the things of the Spirit, there is a completion that God is working us toward. Now, maturity is relative. It's not perfect. There's a relativeness to my maturity. When I'm a year old, I'm a year old. When I'm 10 years old, I'm 10 years old. And it's a tragic thing to see a 20-year-old person who still acts like a one-year-old. You see, that's not maturity. That's tragic. So when we look at Hebrews 2.10, he says, It was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect. What does he say there? Through suffering. God's lessons in our lives, God's perfecting of us, God's completion of this work that he's doing comes through suffering. I don't like that. How about you? In fact, sometimes you just go, Lord, why that way? Well, because we are sinful people. The problem is not with God's methods. The problem is with my sinfulness, my selfishness. So that's what takes me through these, these seasons of suffering. Why did Jesus suffer? For the sins of the world. He suffered because of sin. He came and his perfection, his completion, his work that was to be done was perfected through suffering. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We're following Christ in this process. Look at Hebrews 5.9. I just, I just quoted this. He says, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So Christ became something. This completion was a process of bringing him to a place where he completed a work of eternal salvation. Are you not thankful for that? The same thing. God's bringing us through these seasons, bringing us through these lessons to bring about a change that we would become, as I shared on Sunday. The destination is transformation. The program is who I am. There's a process God's doing in my life to bring me to a place of greater maturity in my walk with him. And by the way, are you not thankful that God's given to us the Holy Spirit? He's the helper. He's the teacher. So God isn't saying, now you better grow up. God's saying, you better realize you need me to grow up. There's a work I'm doing in your life, and it's God who began the good work, God who will complete that work by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Hebrews 5.14, part of our text tonight. But solid food belongs to those who are of, there's the word, full age. Full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
Turn to Hebrews 7.11. Now what we have here is is a section of Hebrews that's talking about the law. So in Hebrews 7.11, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that, that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek? Look at 7.19. For the law made nothing, what? Perfect, complete. God did not give the law or the Levitical priesthood to bring about this work of completion. It required something other than the law, though God gave the law as a means of showing us our need for Christ. Look at 7.28. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been, there it is again, perfected forever. Brothers and sisters, we are not depending upon our righteousness. We're not depending upon our keeping the law for this work that God's doing. We're dependent on Christ and the work he did for us on the cross to bring about the final completion of the lessons in our lives. Look at 9-11. Again, 12 times this word perfect. He says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect, there it is again, tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Uh, Hebrews 10-24. Again, a key verse on this process. First, Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So again, the process of us, again, going on to perfection, completion, is the word sanctification. God has sanctified us, set us apart. Now, here's an interesting translation in my new King, King James in Hebrews eleven twenty two. He says, by faith, Joseph, and this word here, when he was dying, is the word completion. Isn't that wonderful? Joseph, when he was completed, his, this life. Notice, he made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Why? Because God told him that he was going to do something in 400 years that was going to be so incredible. And Joseph died believing that. But his departure was not the end. It was the beginning of God's completion in his life. Hebrews eleven forty, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Talking about those who had already died. They would not be complete until God completed through Christ on the cross this, this glorious salvation. Hebrews 12, 2. Many of us are familiar with this verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and what? Finisher, same word, finisher of our faith, Christ. Uh, 12.23 is the last one, chapter 12, 12th one. To the general assembly, 12.23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. And Greg, I think this is, this is something that you've talked often about, this whole assembly, the firstborn, who are registered in heaven. Are you registered in heaven tonight? To, the, to God, the judge of all, to, here it is, the spirits of just men, Made complete. So there's a little run-through of this word completion. It gives some, I think, some facets of the process of God taking us to this place of completion. So going on to complete learning or to a completion in learning. So verse 11. 
He says, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles and oracles of God. We have much to say and hard to explain. He's speaking about Jesus, our great high priest, Melchizedek, coming after the order of Melchizedek. Again, let's just, if you don't, I hope you don't mind. Let's go to Hebrews 2.17. He's looking back now. Of whom we have much to say. Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brother, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. So he's merciful, he's faithful, he's a high priest of our confession. Uh, Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast, there's the word again, our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin for every high priest taken from among men, and he goes on. So this is what he's referring to. Of whom we have much to say, this Melchizedek, and Christ coming after the order of Melchizedek, and hard to explain. Do you know it's hard to explain much of anything to someone who doesn't want to hear about it? You ever try and explain something? So there's, there's this idea here that somebody no longer wants to hear about it. They're not interested. The motivation, whatever used to be there, they become dull of hearing. Something happened in their motivation, in their desire to learn. And so what God's saying here to us, the Holy Spirit, is, hey, go on to complete the learning. Go on to want to have it explained again if you don't understand. You know, sometimes I think our pride can really get in the way of learning. Where we, you know, we don't want to necessarily open our, like we should know that. I love what my wife Charlotte says. I've shared this before. She says, you know, the things that I don't understand are not what bothers me. It's the things that I do understand. You see, learning, as far as God's concerned, is the application of what we know. If we haven't applied it, we really haven't learned it. I don't like that truth either, but that's the truth. If I really know something, it's because I'm applying it and living it out. Knowledge is not learning as far as God's concerned and spiritual maturity, spiritual completion. It's taking the application of what's been, what I've heard, what I'm, the instruction. With the instruction, there has to be motivation. With the motivation then comes this transformation or this completion that comes in my life as God the Holy Spirit. I, I, there's a uh, Tim, this teacher in Calvary Fellowship, many years ago. He had this picture of the children of Israel and God's dealings with them. And he told them, go into the promised land. And what, did that, what happened when, when they, went, they were going to go in? The spies come back and what did they say? High wall, we're like grasshoppers. Well, we can't do it. And so this teacher, Tim, and I can't remember his last name. Do you remember his, Tim, Greg? Tim? Yeah. Anyway, he said, okay, so it's around the mountain again. And here we go around the mountain again, around the mountain again, around the mountain again. So until you get it, it's we'll be going around the mountain till we get it. We'll be, <laughs> that whole idea. And, the, and when God is teaching us a lesson, and we don't get it, he'll keep working on that lesson until we get it. You find that in your life? So really, it doesn't matter the place that I am physically, where I want to go physically, 
Whatever God's doing in my life, he can do it in Seattle, or he can do it in Washington, D.C., or he can do it in India. He can do it wherever. Now, sometimes God removes us from one place so that we'll get it. But this whole idea is that when we, are, when we become dull of hearing and much to, to explain this, this idea, God's going to keep working on it until we get it. So it's, it's hard when a person is no longer motivated. But here's the deal. God is very, very long-suffering. He's going to keep working in our lives and keep working and keep working. We can grieve the Holy Spirit for sure. But God said he would keep working in our lives. He's given to us the down payment of the Holy Spirit. He's filled us with the, with the deposit. So as having the Holy Spirit in our lives, we, in fact, this to me is the great motivation for any believer that God himself is motivated. He wants us to learn. He wants to instruct us. He wants to teach us. Again, one of my favorite passages is where the, where the writer said, your gentleness has made me great. That God is gentle. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly of heart. Come and learn of me. Yoke with me. And God walks with us so patiently. You become dull of hearing. That word become means degeneration. You've slipped back. You've, you become sluggish. You're, you're, you become lazy. There's, there's just something that happened. In your life, and I want to look at a couple of those uh, tonight, just as a, a means of maybe examining ourselves tonight. Is this something that we need to look at, need to be aware of? When someone has no desire to learn, it's not possible really to teach them anything. Now, as a parent, and my kids in school, I want them to get good grades. Can you hear any Amen. But I'm telling you what, sometimes I have to work harder than they ever will, just trying to get them to do this homework, do their assignments. In fact, maybe you, some of you parents are like me. Sometimes I say, I'm just going to do it for them. That doesn't help them out at all. But sometimes it's just so much work. And that's, I think, a, a picture of what God has to put up with me. Oh, man, I've got two hours of homework tonight with Kevin. Would you sit still? <laughs> Would you focus? Would you, do you get it? And then there are areas in every one of our lives that really we're not gifted. It's just not there. And God's not expecting that growth. For example, there are some people that just don't get the math stuff. Can you hear an amen, Dusty? They just don't. Their minds are wide. They don't get it. And as hard as they try, and they try, it just isn't there. There are some people, the spatial things don't, Charlotte does not get the spatial stuff. Now, I get math. I love math. I love the spatial stuff. For me, all that poetic stuff, it, I, I, it's just not there, <laughs> at least as far as when I hear other people who really got that gift. So I think there's also this whole idea that there are some things that God's not asking us to be learning and growing in. And that's all a part of the process of his completion. One of the glorious places to come in our lives is where we realize, you know what? That's not how, where God's called me. It's not what God's asking me to learn. It's not what God has me doing. And that's wonderful to be there and realize, hey, God's called me in this direction. And these things he's taught me and these things he's called me to. Now, 
It is just the opposite for someone eager to learn. Just the opposite. They're like a sponge. And any teacher will tell you, in fact, I, I feel very privileged to be able to teach you. On Sundays, in fact, on Sunday, when Terry and Nancy Clark were here. And I don't know if I did it both services, but one service, I started quoting. And then I gave, and the whole congregation was giving me back. All things work together for good. To those who, and are called according. And, and Terry and Nancy are sitting there. Charlotte's brother, who is a dean at an AG college, he came here. He's been here a couple. He taught one time, and he was blown away by just the, the general knowledge and deeper knowledge that the congregation has of the Bible. That's because we just go through it. But he has people, students that come to these AG colleges, and I'm sure many seminaries and all those things. Well, not, maybe not seminaries. I hope not seminaries, but probably seminaries too, that go in these these. Uh, these uh, freshmen, and they, don't, they know nothing of their Bibles. How tragic is that? But when someone's eager to learn, and I, that, that's what's so fantastic for a teacher. Now, something just happened that, that stirred a story in me. We're staying with our neighbors. Our house did close, so we're going to move in there this week. But we've been staying with our neighbors for three weeks. They have three dogs. So while they were away for a week in Lake Chelan, guess what we had in our house? A flea infestation. You ever have a flea infestation? So this little dog, this white dog named Zoe, pick her up and here's fleas just crawling all over. I'm going, yuck. Anyway, <laughs> has nothing to do with the story except a little bit. <laughs> a scientist was using the inductive method to observe the characteristics of a flea. Plucking off Plucking a leg off the flea, he ordered jump. The flea promptly jumped. Taking another leg off, the scientist again commanded jump. The flea jumped again. The scientist continued this process until he came to the sixth and final leg. By now, the flea was having a little more difficulty jumping, but it was still trying. The scientist put, pulled off the final leg off again and ordered the flea to jump, but the flea didn't respond. The scientist raised his voice and demanded jump. Again, the flea failed to respond. For a third time, the scientist shouted at the top of his lungs, jump! But the hapless flea lay motionless. The scientist then made the following observation in his notebook. When you remove the legs from a flea, it loses its sense of hearing. <laughs> As I said, spiritually speaking, it's just the opposite. Just the opposite. When we are not hearing... It's as though our spiritual legs have been cut off. When we're not listening, when we're not going on in learning and listening and having that desire through the Holy Spirit to learn and grow and continue in that, it's as though we have no ability to go anywhere. I'm not interested anymore. I'm not motivated in those ways. One of the beautiful things that's happened for me in my walk with the Lord is when I landed up in a Calvary Chapel, I was in Costa Mesa, I had no idea about the Word of God. No idea of the importance of the Word of God. No idea that this is the Word of God that's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. No idea that God said, I shall not live by bread alone, that, that this substance of my walk with Christ is the Word of God. I was baptized at 10 years old in a Baptist church. I was hungry for God, hungry to grow. At that time in my life, in the grade I was in, in Nanuet, I was trying to live my life like I knew that the Lord wanted me to live it. But I had no food, no substance on which to grow. 
So eventually, I shriveled up, and eventually I went my own prodigal way. It's so fantastic to having been fed the word. It stirs a, a desire for, for the word. And when it's not there, which I think many of us in this room understand that. When you go and hear something that's a bunch of fun stories, but there's no substance, there's no word, you leave sort of feeling a little empty, don't you? And that's the whole thing. That the word of God is our substance. So the invitation is always there from God to learn. The motivation is the question. What happens? And Jesus said, hey, he used parables. He said, the parables I'm giving to you are going to both, they're going to hide the truth and they're going to reveal the truth. It just depends on who wants to really learn. So he who has ears to hear, Jesus' invitation, let him hear. And when he gave a parable, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he'd give the parable and someone who was eager to learn would say, okay, what's that mean? Now, the need here is not what does that mean as far as I think. <laughs> it's what is Jesus communicating as far as what God is saying. And thus, again, rightly dividing the word of truth. Jesus gave parables in order to reveal and conceal. To those who really wanted to know, he's, they learned, they grew. Shortly after Paul arrived in Rome, Acts 28, he sent out an invitation to the leaders there, the Jewish leaders in Rome, that they might hear what he had to say. And he, when he was done with them, said to them, the hearts of the people have grown dull. In other words, there were some in that mix that came to him in Rome that he could tell they didn't want to learn. And so he called up some of these passages in the same way. When he wrote to Romans, the Romans from Rome, the same thing that he was writing to those in Rome. Now, Again, some other illustrations on this whole idea of learning. Saul and David, to me, are contrasting examples of who he who had ears to hear, David, and that one who had become dull of hearing, become dull of hearing, Saul. Rather than learning through David in seeing God's hand on his life, in seeing God's blessing on his life, in seeing all these things, rather than saying, wow, that is so fantastic, Rather, Saul, pride and jealousy, rather than really learn through the blessings of God on David's life, he was seeking to eliminate David and kill him. And may I say tonight to myself as well as to you, jealousy, pride, these things of envy, these things will kill the motivation to learn, to really learn what God has for us. Because people are God's are God's instruments in teaching us, in going on to completion in the lessons God has for us. And, and I know that I'm speaking for every one of us in this room. It is impossible to get around our pride and jealousy, particularly many times when we see what God's doing in someone else's life. But God is working in us so that we begin to appreciate. I'll tell you, one of the things that of this team teaching that we're doing, and John's been coming, John Devon is doing our worship, he's been coming, one of the beautiful things that we are experiencing is this fellowship of learning from each other, though we have differences. One of the beautiful things that's going on here Wednesday night is this whole thing that God's brought about for us to learn from others. There's countless examples in the Bible of those who wanted to learn and grow and those who would not grow. So he says there in verse 12, you ought to be teachers. This is what should be happening. The expectation is that in time, People will be following us. 
We will be teachers. There needs to be progress in the Christian's life, not regression. And the thing about it is the Christian life is never static. We're either going forward or we're going back. So all day long, as Peter said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Put Christ center. Let everything that we're seeing, everything that we're thinking be through the eyes of Christ. What he's doing in our lives, what he's doing in other people's lives so that God can bring us to a place of continual completion in the lessons he wants to teach us. You have need for someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, the ABCs of the things of God. He's going to spell some of those out, six of them, which we won't get to tonight. So he says there basically you can't halt. You can't handle the solid food. So there's this spiritual digestion track that can't handle but the milk. Now, here's the thing. An adult can enjoy milk. But a babe cannot digest solid food. So there is a time that's appropriate for the child. My grandson, he's just starting to take the, the, uh, the solid food. And I just read something very interesting about the body. That when, well, I knew this, but I read it, that, you know, when you swallow, there's these things that block the air passage, and, and it just works. But when a child eats the first, first solid thing, they go like this. And by the way, you ever feed your baby? You, you go with them, yeah. Well, I read this thing, and then as I fed Merrick, that's exactly what happens, or my own kid. They go, because they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, swallow, and, and the body just works. It's fantastic. But a babe... So can't handle the solid food. It's just the milk. So he's saying, hey, if you're going to grow, at some point there's a transition that needs to begin taking place where you're going, and the solid food, you're starting to, okay, okay, this is a little different than just the milk. It's not just, but that's what, it, that's what he's talking about. So a couple more things. Is that okay? It's not... The lack of information. It's the motivation. And there are a lot of things that can kill our motivation. But if you want to put one heading, it's the sin of our lives. That's the lessons that God's teaching us. Is how to live more surrendered to Christ and more victorious over sin. They go hand in hand. You see, a babe is helpless. A babe is easily entertained. A baby is oblivious to danger. A baby is easily distracted. And that's very appropriate because when they're babes, they have someone that's watching over them. But I think it's tragic when the church becomes an entertainment center rather than a training center. Or when someone is grown and known the Lord for a long time and just walking into every trap the enemy sets, every danger. See, and that's what we want to be doing. And we'll continue talking about these things uh, as we go on. But what the, what the writer is saying, hey, are you wanting to learn some more? And I believe everyone in this room does want to do that. So let's go on to completion. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to take us, not around the mountain again, but through the Jordan, through those things that he's put before us, even though keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and completion, completer of our faith. Now, closing. That passage goes on to say, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, 
and is sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ is the one that we're following. He went to the cross, and for the joy that was set before him, I believe that reuniting with the Godhead, but also the joy of our following after him in this work that he's doing of going on to completion. Amen. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dialogue a little bit. Father, we thank you.